Good morning. Here we are on episode two of Latinx in the Inland Empire. Today, we have guest Jessica Delgado, who is an MA student in English and Cultural Studies here at CGU. She's going to help us talk about activism, poetry, and poesia locally in the Inland Empire. Jessica is also a member of the Breath of Fire Latino Theater Ensemble in Santa Ana, California. Good morning, Jessica. Hi, it's so happy to be here. Woo! So glad that I'm here. Thank you. Great. So we met in mm-hmm. class and had the pleasure of seeing the Breath of Fire Latina Theater Ensemble yes. directors today. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me a little bit about your um, relationship with the teatro and what what's going on? Sure. So, um, like I mentioned, I grew up with a professional musician as a parent. And so they just kind of let me explore the avenues of art. And theater was one of those. So it was a funny thing getting involved with Breath of Fire um, because it was completely out of nowhere. And so I kind of went and did a reading, but then it somehow turned into an audition. And then that led me to be in a full-fledged production. And from that production on, it was just next production, next show. What else can we do? How else can we explore theater? Mm -hmm. And so I was able to get involved with Breath of Fire that way. Before I got into Breath of Fire, I was doing tons of tech work, Mm -hmm. so much tech work and behind the scenes. And it was incredible to make magic happen and to hear the audiences react to a live human making this magic happen, but not knowing it. Mm -hmm. And so that was incredible. But I wanted to start acting. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to go from being backstage onto the stage. And when I saw that post on Facebook by Dana Burbano, an incredible Colombian playwright, mm-hmm, and I think mm-hmm. is in New York right mm-hmm. now. I saw that post. I went in. I did my thing. And from there, it just kind of took off. Hmm. Yeah. That's fantastic. I was wondering, how does your knowledge and activity in the poesia poetry world mm. also interact with your theater work? Because um, what I've gathered is that there's a lot of synergy there mm-hmm. about co-productions, um, Latino Chicano community, yes, uh, representations, um, women's yes. um, rights, mm-hmm. um, and the rights of also Latino and Chicano LGBTQ plus individuals. Absolutely. Um, is there anything you want to say about your poesia yeah. and theater or talk separately sure. about your poesia? So it kind of was a journey. So when I was in Riverside, um, what, coming from a, the community college and just kind of walking down from Riverside Community College and going into this coffee shop called Back to the Grind. And there was something every Monday was open mic. And so I just kind of went and I saw and I listened and it was curated by a queer gender nonconforming person named Mario Sandoval, mm-hmm. who is basically Riverside encapsulated. Mm -hmm. So Riverside is a very unique city where you would kind of be able to point out who's been there for quite some time Mm -hmm. because there's this beatnik sort of Mm -hmm. underground artistic attitude and just go-getting attitude. So I went and I Mm -hmm. would listen, but then eventually 
I wanted to jump on stage. So mm. I jumped on stage, did some poetry, kind of workshop based on the reactions of the audiences. And so I just went and performed my poetry and I would kind of know from the vibe I was getting from the audience, what worked, what I could kind of work mm -hmm. on, hear other poets, other musicians, right. artists, mm -hmm. and see what worked for them too and kind of encapsulate it into my work but make it my own. So going from that performance to jumping from kind of one stage to another was interesting because going from reading my personal work to a work of someone else where mm. you literally have to create another person, another world, interact with other people, mm -hmm. your colleagues who are also other people on stage right, right. in this world with you. So it's a really incredible, extraordinary exchange that you have. But you kind of have to learn the technicalities of mm. acting a little bit first. And I don't have professional training in acting at all but i just went and i jumped in and i did it organically and that's the way that i learned it mm -hmm. i did it doing the work and it's the same way i did with tech work and then i did the same thing with acting and so being able to like i did in class today literally getting the script the night before mm -hmm. and jumping into it it's kind of like you have to become method and think who is this person what is their world like you know, and then put it into the world that you're in. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of same thing with poetry. With poetry, I think we can be really, really honest, brutally honest in ways where we normally have to censor ourselves. And that is kind of the same thing you can do with acting, yeah. where you can kind of break limits and you're allowed to do it. Um, kind of like breaking the fourth wall where you're talking to the audience and acknowledging that you see them there and then they go, who, me? Mm -hmm. um, and I actually, um, I'm a burlesque dancer too. Okay. And so I have a lot of friends too who are drag performers. Mm -hmm. So I'm really immersed in the drag culture. And same thing where they interact with the audiences and they get themselves involved. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's a communal effort. That energy is in the same room. So you absorb that and you run with it and mm -hmm. do what you can with it. So I kind of take all of these different areas and arenas of performing and kind of put them together and see what I can do with it. Mm -hmm. And it's an incredible experience. I'm so lucky. It's so much fun. Well, we're very fortunate to have you with us. Thank you. One thing you said about mm -hmm. that one stage to another, I really liked because it's really about anyone in higher education, sure. about taking that one step. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That one step. So from one stage to another, Jessica, yes. you were able to uh, access the Inland Empire community, Riverside, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, learn, to learn that your city offered a cafe, mm -hmm. right? And eventually get to perform locally in theater. Yeah. So Jessica, uh -huh. talk to me about being Chicana. How is your... Mm -hmm. Chicana identity, uh, part of being an actor mm -hmm. and poet. Uh, talk to me. So with poetry, I find it's a little bit easier just because it's not as codified. And poetry is very, you know, coming from the beatnik underground poetry scene. You are who you are. And Mario really taught me that. And everyone who entered that room had such a spectrum of identities, backgrounds, 
experiences in life. And it was just like, you come in, you do your thing and, you know, accept everyone the way they are. And Mario as a queer gender non-conforming mm-hmm. person said, you like it, you stay, you don't like it, there's mm-hmm. a door, right? Um, so we were able to kind of weed out those folks who didn't like it. And mm-hmm. so we kind of, you know, gently escorted them out. Um, but we were very accepting. And so going from like that and then having that mentality, jumping into theater is really fascinating. I feel like one of the reasons why I kind of fell off the bandwagon of doing IE theater mm-hmm. is that there are people of color who are involved. However, we're, they're still doing My Fair Lady. You know, mm-hmm. the most controversial show they do is like Hairspray, right? Um, but there's so many innovative social justice theatrical pieces that need to be put out there, mm. should be in the Inland Empire, considering a lot of people from LA are moving out here, but it's not really being done. It's mostly just being censored. Um, it's still very, very Eurocentric and it's very Mickey Mouse. That's the way I say it. I don't yeah. want to do like always do Mickey Mouse theater where everyone leaves happy and, mm-hmm. you know, feeling great, but they're not thinking, you know, they're not right. thinking about our world. They're mm-hmm. still encapsulated in this fantasy world that, mm-hmm. you know, there really isn't any critical thinking going on. And so being Chicana and Latina and like a an indigenous person, I feel like that representation is coming out in small sectors, especially with like Breath of Fire Latina mm-hmm. Theater Ensemble. They're doing incredible work and are outreaching and breaking through to other communities and other folks who are of different backgrounds and identities. And But that's not happening really in the IE, and mm-hmm. it's so unfortunate. Now, I feel hopeful because the Chich Marin Chicano Art Museum is coming to Riverside. Right. And as a museum scholar, that is huge. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is also activism. Yeah, absolutely. Like he was a huge Chicano huge. act. He still and is. There was a lot of pushback from the city about why do we need this? And that's the question where theater comes in. Poetry tries to answer that. Museums now are trying to answer this too. Um, my thesis is on decolonizing museums. And so taking that and running with that in the theater world, especially in the IE, I hate to say it, mm-hmm. I have a lot of beautiful friends and I've made a lot of amazing art in the IE, mm-hmm. I feel. But in terms of where my identity intersects, I'm not, I don't feel the same with the IE theater circuit that I do with, for example, Breath of Fire. Like right. those are two different avenues and they're t- they have two different agendas. Mm-hmm. And so because of that, I approach it a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. So, and they also think about their audience. The audience is a huge thing. And again, with the IE, like certain theater companies know that their audiences are not at a level of consciousness where they want to think yet. Um, Whereas Breath of Fire are pushing the envelope because they know that the fire and the hunger is there Mm -hmm. and they're willing to address that. They're willing to get the backlash. Whereas these other theater companies a little bit in the IE are not willing to do that and they're just trying to get people in the seats. I'm really glad you brought um, that point up Mm -hmm. because that has one of the reasons we're 
talking about this podcast, Latinx in the Inland Empire, is for a lot of us, we do feel culturally uh, isolated. Right. Um, a lot of us still go to the greater LA for theater, yes. the Orange County for poem, mm -hmm. poesia. And my hope is that uh, our listeners can really understand that through hard work, mm -hmm. yeah. um, taking one step, getting to know your community, very much so, um, supporting local businesses, mm -hmm. that there are going to be locations yeah. for young, budding actors yes. and poesias, poets who are Latino. Um, uh, talking more about the audience, right? Um, what about that is important? What kind of energy as a Chicana mm -hmm. um, do you get from those performances in Orange County, for example? Like right. you said, where there's um, where your audience has more uh, a consciousness for yeah. digesting sure. uh, relevant Latino and Chicano uh, items, mm -hmm. which may not be easy to digest. Yeah. So... Um, I'll go from the avenue for Beth of Fire. When I did the production of Real Women Have Curves, I think that was the first Latino play in there in years. Years. Um, and that's very common with theater where it's, they'll have seasons and seasons and seasons and not have not one piece written by a person of color, a queer person, gender nonconforming person, a woman. Mm -hmm. So to have a woman of color who wrote this and have it brought into this space, we got audiences. My grandmother was in the audience mm -hmm. for one of the shows. My mom was in the audience with her. Mm -hmm. And she kind of lived the experience of that piece, where that piece is um, a bunch of women working in sweatshops, essentially, and are coming to terms with their bodies and, and dealing with those issues and being, you know, possibly deported as well. Um, and my grandmother faced all of those. She was those characters, right? And so having that dialogue and hearing her say, gosh, I forgot that I was watching a play. It felt like real life. That's what we want to bring. Mm. Um, and so hearing that from audiences is extraordinary. Mm. Um, and we got some backlash from some cri some critics right of course there were like cis white hetero older men who were like didn't get the message at all and were just like mm, i guess the sets were nice i guess they did okay right but the message was lost and so on top of that having it be a bilingual piece as well and then feeling excluded on that that was another you know level that we had to be conscious of but we're always as chicanas latinas first nations peoples women's people who are gender non-conforming or queer we're always understanding that we are under the microscope more than other actors um i was watching actually with my partner and our roommate uh, we were watching a hip-hop show and there was a black queer person who was mm -hmm. there and cardi b actually summed it up pretty much great which is kind of where i'm going with this where because you're gay and you're black you know and you're a rapper right and you're male a lot of people will not take you seriously and that's another element to theater that we have to think about as these multiplicities of identities mm -hmm. folks encapsulating multiple things right we know that we're under the microscope like 300 times more than mm -hmm 
other folks are. And so that's something that we we acknowledge and we think about, mm-hmm. but then we create these spaces for ourselves to talk about these issues, to write about these issues and turn our turmoil into art. Mm-hmm. And so we understand that that's, you know, that's there. And we've experienced, I mean, I've experienced some racism and sexism mm-hmm. and all kinds of, you know, crazy comments about it has nothing to do with my work ethic. Mm. It has to do with who I am as a person. Mm. But then someone else, like I was a stage manager, so I was responsible for everything and everyone, including safety, which I'm really big on. But then you have another stage manager who gets paid twice as I do and doesn't call the show, the music's going, actors aren't on stage. What's going on there, right? So, but we're still scrutinized more so than you know those folks who are not dealing with the complicity and the the complications of multitudes of identities and so that's something else as a chicana latina indigenous queer two-spirited person like having all of these elements within you you bring that to the table and not everyone's going to be happy with it. I've had productions where people don't want to work with me simply because of that. Mm-hmm. And it's so interesting. Mm-hmm. I have a colleague too who's queer and they refuse to work with him. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to be in the arts and not be around mm-hmm. queer people. Right. It's hard to be in the world and not be around queer people. Right. And so facing things like that and hearing things about, you know, backstage especially mm-hmm. it's a different world and so hearing all these whispers of bigotry and prejudice is just it's unfortunate mm-hmm. but we're lucky to be able to be creating our own spaces and moving more towards a positive direction which mm-hmm. i'm i'm hoping for yeah i'm definitely hoping for a positive uh future as yes. well um one thing you said i really think is important to uh, our podcast is the Im- your grandmother being an immigrant. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of us on this campus are immigrants yes. or have families or spouses who are immigrants. And also the use of Spanish. Yes. Um, like you said, language is a part of uh, your art mm-hmm. and your craft. Right. Um, and that you've sometimes felt uh, diminished or not perhaps taken as seriously mm-hmm. uh, because of, of your of your language. Is there uh, anything you're working on now? I, you know, it, I know that uh, the theater company published a zine called Fuego. Yes. Um, and you're published in that. Uh-huh. Congratulations. Thank you so much. Um, where, uh, can you tell us where we can find that? I think it's going to be on breathoffire.org. I believe that that's where they're going to post it. I don't know if it's live just yet, but it should be there. Mm-hmm. Um, previous, I think there's one other issue that was just published last year. Mm-hmm. You could also access it there. But almost everyone in that zine you can find online. Okay. Um, if you just look up their names, they have social media. Mm-hmm. Um, there's one incredible person, Anatalia Valles. She does a huge advocate of mental health great poet, great person. Chanel Mm -hmm. um, Garcia, she was actually the playwright who I originally read for. um, And before I got into Breath of Fire, yeah, she's an incredible, positive person, amazing playwright, is able to capture language in the world in such an intricate and realistic way. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and she's incredible too. Angela, of course, mm-hmm. and Angela mm-hmm. Moore, mm-hmm. who was with us today, an incredible actress, incredible writer, really cool female drummer and her husband's a drummer too so all of these folks you can find online Mm -hmm. um and most of us stay within the ensemble and we just grow our family more and more so you can find most of the names on the actual website and see Mm -hmm. what everyone's doing because every one of us are doing something different and it's extraordinary just to see like my friends now are traveling and getting paid (laughs) Right. Getting right. paid to do this art mm. is very, 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 very rare for women, mm-hmm. for people of color, for queer folks. I mean, the more identities you have, the more difficult it is to not only get represented, to not only have your work out there, but to get paid is very, very rare. But I mean, it's happening. Right. right. So I'm so glad to see my friends go from just my friends to these professional, strong women and, and amazing folks who are able to tell these stories and and get what they deserve. They get compensated and recognized mm-hmm. and get awarded for it and published. Mm-hmm. So it's just, I mean, they're it's incredible to see. And we had someone, um, the actress for Eddie and Vida, the show really? Vida. She came through Breath of Fire as well. Or they came through. I'm sorry. I believe mm. they use they, them pronouns. They came through Breath of Fire as well. And there's like a little poster with their picture on it and their information. So it's pretty cool how to see how, mm-hmm. again, they get to, people get to branch out and be professional and do just incredible work. Mm-hmm. And that really makes what you all do and your ensemble that more precious. Mm, thank you. Because as we've spoken about here, there's just not a lot mm-hmm. of independent theater productions mm-hmm. focused on Chicana mm-hmm. and Latinas. Mm-hmm. Um, I have two sisters, and I do think it's really important to talk about you know, Chicanas, right. women, um, and your poetry as women. Do you often find, Jessica, that people want to say, oh, you're an activist? Mm-hmm. Because you're a Chicana. Right. Um, do people seem to understand your poetry? Do they just, you know, how does how do you kind of work that out as an academic mm-hmm. and scholar mm-hmm. and activist? Mm-hmm. So I, I also do blogging as well as poetry. So it's outside of academia. I write what I want to read. Um, and I like that content because... I get real feedback from other academics and scholars, but we have real in-depth personal conversations. So it's not a lecture. It's not a workshop. It's like we're having right now. It's a conversation, right? Mm -hmm. Even though we have mics in front, it's still a conversation, right? And getting more intimate with the material. Um, And I just kind of free flow and free write. And I kind of go, you know what? Whoever accepts it, accepts it. Whoever doesn't, doesn't. And so I did years ago. Gosh, it's been a couple years. So I did, um, there was a kind of like a mini conference for the Southern Californian Women Experience, Mm -hmm. but it was run by Chicanas and Latinas. Mm -hmm. And it was actually, believe it or not, down the street from Breath of Fire that I didn't know beforehand um, in a theater where, we just kind of did 
panels, right? We just did panels on our experiences as different folks. And I was on the poetry panel and uh, they asked similar questions. And I had folks from different ages ask what life is like for us in this moment so that they can kind of reflect and Mm -hmm. think about their own experiences and make those connections, right? Um, I also as an undergrad was super involved with the Chicano student programs Mm -hmm. office, the native American student programs office, LGBTQ women's office, um, because they're all kind of in this really large building, but Mm -hmm. they're separate different offices. And so we put on programs like Poesia Peligrosa, Mm -hmm. which were these incredible, like again, open mics celebration of community. And it was all run by queer gender non-conforming, two-spirited, indigenous, Chicano, Latino folks, right? Cool. So, Poesia Peligrosa, Uh translate that just means dangerous poetry? Dangerous poetry. Okay, thank you. Yeah, and so it it went from being on campus to off campus, and that was a conscious choice because we wanted to have local bands, right? Queer, gender non-conforming bands just Mm -hmm. come on through, and it was like a backyard show. Um, And a lot of folks are like myself, punks right we come from the punk underground and we turn into so we all wear many hats we have all these meetings right we have meetings with administration we have meetings with the um each other and we would have times where every friday there was something called la familia and it was all of us we would just get like conchas okay a little bit of cafecito and just talk and say what's going on are we burnt out um it would be less about strategy. It would be less about organizing. It was just more of a personal conversation in a meeting. Mm-hmm. And so those were really, really just incredible. And I, I carry that on now to have those conversations because being in the Latinx grad student union, we do the same thing. We just are a familia and we build those connections. And yes, we are professionals. We are building ourselves to be on a professional avenue. All of us are doing it in a different way. Um but we're, we recognize that we're also people and we're all mental health advocates and realize sometimes we need to take a step back and be really honest with each other. And so building that community and having that honesty and having positive affirmation with each other and saying, you know what, it's okay. You can take the back burner on this. We'll do something else, right? Hmm. It was just, And that's the same thing like Breath of Fire does too. If one of us is burnt out, like Sada was talking about in class, we'll just take that time we need, recharge, come back to it twice Mm. as strong. And so it's just incredible to think about it that way too. And um, yeah, it was just an uh, amazing experience and I'm so glad I did it. And putting on like powwows, Poesia Peligrosa, all of these, the Presente Conference, Mm -hmm. um, which I should talk about, which is a... uh, um, So say that again, the Presente Conference? Presente Conference. Um, It's been happening now for maybe two years. Before I graduated, I organized it. So we brought in performers. We brought in student teachers okay. on campus. There's an amazing person called Guatemoc Dante Loren. Um, they're a voguer. They're an indigenous Chicano Latino voguer who's connected to the Bay Area and who I, connected me to a lot of other two spirits. We actually have another two spirit on campus as well. Um, JD, <laughs> woo, great. But all of these amazing like connections and um yeah it was just really cool to to organize it and to see it come to fruition we had people come from places 
we didn't even expect. Stanford, we had people from Berkeley, we had people from New York fly in, Arizona, uh, one of I think Guatemala too. We mm-hmm. had someone flying from Guatemala, and we just put this conference on because we thought, where is a space where we can bring in a lot of queer Latinx, Chicanx, Indigenous folks in the same room, and it was the energy was extraordinary everyone was on the same page everyone was very supportive of each other and it was just like a big familia Mm -hmm. and going to different workshops and hearing different perspectives was just it was really great and so the way we organized it was we had a young trans latina chicana Mm -hmm. who spoke to us in the beginning of the conference and then at the end we closed with a trans latina elder bambi salcedo who phenomenal amazing just the best like she's so sweet she taught me how to hug properly mm-hmm. so it's heart to heart right and so oh, the heart the heart hug yes the heart Correct. hug i and learned that so right. and so just doing things like that and bringing that here is just it's a different dynamic but it's happening there's a lot of great things happening here and well jessica you cool. make wearing many hats <laughs> as you said uh, look very easy. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, I really liked how you've been really nailing in the importance of support mm-hmm. for our Chicano, Latino, Indigenous, yes. First Nations community. Mm-hmm. The importance of mental health. Yes. Uh, being professional. Mm-hmm. And also working together. Yeah. Um, I can see, Jessica, that you have worked very hard to get <laughs> to where you are. <laughs> yeah, a lot of mistakes, but it's okay. <laughs> you know. Um, in two years, Jessica, mm-hmm. Delgada, where do you see yourself? Okay. Um, <laughs> I hope you're still part of the Claremont community. But I'm where do you see yourself, it. Jessica? I was actually talking to my partner about this like two days ago. Um, so I'm debating because I am in the museum world and the more hats that you wear, the more job opportunities and opportunities and money you can get. Yeah. So they have an incredible program for history and archival studies here. So I'm debating whether or not I'd like to stay for that. I'm going to talk to one of the directors here about that. So we'll see if I continue that. Mm -hmm. But I am going to be an educator as well. I'm doing the Preparing Future Faculty Program Mm -hmm. right now. Mm -hmm. And so I talk to the uh, a lot of professors over at the community college I used to go to, Myrna Valley College, who are incredible. Like a lot of those professors are really doing decolonizing work mm-hmm. and are very supportive of multitudes of identities and bringing um, different perspectives into academia. So they basically told me, get that paper and you can come on in and just apply. So I'll be doing that. Um, oh, I see. So get the, uh, when you finish yes. the preparing faculty, and you with get my the... With this Correct. master's degree, is once I have, I just need the paper. Correct. Literally, that's I what understand. they told me was, I just need the paper. And I'll be jumping into that. I Correct. would love to do some mm. tor- type of museum professional work. I know that um, La Plaza by Olvera Street mm-hmm. are working, especially next year, to expand their section on the Tongva history, mm-hmm. um, which a lot of people don't even acknowledge. Yeah, do you want to briefly sure. just... So the Tongva people yeah. are the First Nations folks who lived in Los Angeles. Um, and a lot of times within museums, you know, they have to be appear professional, but 
um, the history is very Eurocentric and doesn't mm. even acknowledge being on native land or those native peoples. And so La Plaza, I think, is one of the greatest examples of how to do that because they acknowledge the mi- the real history of the missions, right? And mm-hmm. actual history. And so um, having this section on the Tongva history is so important to me because, hey, first of all, we acknowledge it's there. Mm-hmm. Second of all, they're working with the actual community. So it's not a Disneyland Mickey Mouse version of what an American Indian is, right? Mm-hmm. Um, no, they're actually going to communities and working with these folks, right? So that's something that I'm looking looking mm-hmm. at as well. And of course, the Chichmarin, I mean, Chicano Museum, I, right. that's just like a dream come true, right? So do you know, before mm-hmm. we kind of wrap up the sure. episode, when that is opening? I believe, I think it's, I think they pushed it back to 2021, but That's I'll right. have to look again mm-hmm. um, just because, you know, they have to bring in different pieces and then do a lot of professional work. But it's because it's in the old library. They have to move the library over somewhere else and they're building the new library right mm-hmm. now. So I think once that is built, they move everything out, then we'll start getting in. So I imagine it's either next year or the year after, probably the year after. Um but it's soon, so that's really exciting. It's incredible to see it mm-hmm. go from, you know, just a little seed and jumping into being a huge forest of mm-hmm. just incredible, incredible work. And I do know as someone who lives in the IE oh, that it's a very big cultural mm-hmm. uh, landmark for all of us. Very much. Including, obviously, everyone in Claremont. So thank you so much, Jessica. Yes, of course. I'm um, so happy. <laughs> I wanted to thank you for being our second guest Yay. on Latinx in the Inland Empire uh-huh. from Studio B3 yes. at Claremont Graduate University. Yes. This is Latinx in the Inland Empire. Yay! <laughs> <laughs>